Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. Today's episode is Students Burning Questions for the Experts. We know that students have questions they are just itching to ask our seasoned veterans, and we gave them a chance. Join student members Joshua Lopez and Julia Birdzik in this informative interview with a couple of our very own AICP longtime members, Katie Gurnett and Sean Cox. Listen in as they ask those questions you have been wanting answered and never had the opportunity to ask, the ones which will help guide you and give you insights into your compliance career. And now, here are your hosts, Joshua and Julia. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We will be your hosts, Joshua and Julia, and today we are joined by Sean and Katie. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Sure. Thanks for having us. Then right off the bat, if you could introduce yourself for our listeners, uh, maybe your titles, uh, what company you're with, and how long you've been there, that would be great. Hey, Katie, why don't you go ahead and start off? And, and Well, it'll be easier to allow me to kind of piggyback off of uh, you, because I think it'll help people better understand what I do. And to make you sound better than me, I understand how this works. So um, my name is Katie Gurnett. I am the compliance manager with Physicians Mutual Insurance Company in Omaha, Nebraska. I basically have a team and we we look at advertising. Uh, I've also been in the industry in total way longer than you are old. So for like, God, 40 years, 35, 40 years, I've been with Physicians Mutual for almost 20 so I've had experience from PNC, property and casualty, and life and health. So now, Sean, top that one. Yeah, that's a tough one to top. So, <laughs> so I'm Sean Cox. I'm president of First Consulting. I've been in the industry. Well, I've, I've spent my entire time in the industry with First Consulting. And I've been with First Consulting for a little over 26 years now. During that time, I've, I've held a number of different roles and positions, but just to kind of piggyback off of what Katie was saying, as a consulting firm, we operate in the exact same space that Katie does, and we really perform the same functions that Katie does, but we're just that extra hand whenever there's capacity issues or maybe a, uh, an insurance carrier has lost a, a team member and they need somebody to help uh, fill that role. So. Insurance companies are our clients, and we're that extra hand to help them complete their different responsibilities. So as a consultant, we work with all lines of business, life and health, property and casualty. We work in all U.S. jurisdictions. But at the core, we're working with insurance carriers to help them develop new products, get them filed and approved with the states. And I've known him since he was a young whippersnapper, so... <laughs> well, I mean, you guys have some amazing resumes. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. And uh, Julie, if you would like to take the next question. Yes, thank you for that great intro, Joshua. So our next question is because a lot of students, as you may know, uh, risk management insurance is a common area of study. And I know that didn't really exist, you know, generations ago and people that are still working in the industry. So our question was, how did you enter the insurance industry? And uh, why did you choose to stay? Did that make you feel old, Sean, when she said generations ago? <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, unfortunately, it's very true. And, and it's very accurate, Julia. You're absolutely right. You know, when I was in college, this this type of a, a degree or a specialization, it just it didn't exist. So 
for myself, I can tell you when I graduated college, it was just something that I, I fell into. You know, I graduated with a history degree and it's like, well, what the heck do I do now, right? You didn't look up in the want ads and see a lot of uh, advertisements for people with history degrees. And so it was just something I fell into. But, but I knew as I was looking for a position, I knew I wanted to find an industry where I could make a career for myself. And that would give me lots of opportunity and a career that would also provide me the space for professional growth and, and to be challenged. And, and so I didn't know what that industry was going to be, but I knew at the core that I really wanted it to contain those, those opportunities for me. And it was just, you know, the best of luck from my, from my perspective that I fell into this and, and it really checked all those boxes for me. Yeah, I came to it a little bit differently than you did. So my degree's in math. So originally, I had thought I'd go into actuarial science. And then I decided that math people are exceptionally weird. So I didn't necessarily want to hang out with all of those guys all the time. Actuaries have no sense of humor, by the way. So uh, <laughs> no, they, they do. I shouldn't say that because we have people who do it in actuaries. Anyway, so I had a degree in mathematics, and so I was looking for something where I could use my math degree and happened to come across a property and casualty company that was looking for somebody who was going to set auto rates and homeowners rates. And so I started working for a company that now no longer exists. So I came into it that way and then just kind of worked my way up through it. The, the good part about having a math degree and probably even the history is that really compliance is about using logic. And that's what I tell people, as long as you have that ability to do a logical progression and read things so that you can look at it from, if I start here, how do I get to here? And that's what math does for you. Then I think you do really well. So I really didn't get into looking at laws until I started doing a lot more of uh, the forms, which was much later in my career. And then even later than that, coming over and doing the advertising stuff. So laws and regulations, which is interesting for me, is I actually had tried to get into law school at one point. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I, I became insurance because I'm a failure at everything else I tried. But uh, <laughs> I don't think that's totally true. But like Sean, I found a home and and I found a place that, that let me uh, learn new things, which I always like doing. And it, it gave me the ability to fine-tune my leadership skills as well as other skills. And so, I, you know, it was, it was a good fit for me. And, and it paid me on top of it all. So that was a good thing. It worked out well. Yeah. Gotta love that. <laughs> yeah. No, both great responses, though. And it's always really interesting for people like me and Joshua to hear about your each unique stories of how you got into the industry, because ours is going to be really boring. We just basically studied it. And we, you know, we never really fell into it. You know, we're ready to go into it. But Joshua could kick it off with the next question if he's ready. Oh, yeah, for sure. So not to make you guys feel old again, but, <laughs> you know, you guys have been in the industry for a while now. And if you could share some insight on some of the biggest changes or events that you guys got to witness, could you uh, please uh, expand on that? Oh, wow. Well, I, the biggest change would be computers. Um, I, I know that sounds really weird to you, but when I first started doing rates, I did them all by hand with a calculator. I know. <laughs> Sean's just shaking his head. It's like, oh my God, you are so old. And then, and then we worked up to in my department, we had one computer in the whole area and you had to be specially trained and only that one person could touch it. So I think that 
changed a lot of the ways we do things as far as everybody now has a computer. We used to have secretaries who handled all of writing our memos and all that kind of stuff. So everything's very self-contained and you can and do those things. So for me, the biggest change has been really automating so much of what we do so that we can free up our time to do more analysis because a lot of that's clerical type stuff. And now I can spend my time doing analysis instead of having to do that number crunching or even just putting things together. Yeah. And just to kind of piggyback off of that, I guess, you know, from my perspective, it, it wasn't so much computers. Thankfully, I, I, I was... You're much younger than I am. So he had a computer. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did come in when their computers existed. But it was a, you know, this is something else that is probably going to be a little foreign for for new college graduates. And that was, we lived in a very paper intensive world. Oh, very much. We had file cabinets on top of file cabinets. Like you could not even imagine how much paper we're talking. I mean, we had boxes and boxes of paper brought in every week because we were just photocopying everything, you know? And so to to send a simple product submission to a state typically required in the neighborhood of, I don't know, two, three hundred pieces of paper for every single state. And so just the sheer volume of paper and the logistics of trying to coordinate all the paper, it, it was just maddening and, and such a complete waste of time. And so thankfully I was, you know, able to in some respects, uh, experience that and appreciate how horrible it was to to now have a better appreciation for the digital world that we live in. And, you know, Katie, I, I think you might feel the same way. Like in the grand scheme of things, that, that transformation from paper into the digital world, it happened quick. You know, it was yeah. in the span of two, five years. And that was a really big revolutionary change to happen in such a short period of time. Yeah. And it was hard on our people too. I would say that there's a certain change is hard for some people. And so even going from this paper world, and man, I, I, I'm right with you there. When we used to set up a multi-state filing to go out, we would, all hands were on deck and you set up an assembly line. Oh yeah. Cause you had to make a copy. I don't know about you. Our company process was always had to send two copies to the state and keep one copy here. So it wasn't like you just sent one copy. So you had to make three copies of everything. And that's a huge amount of paper. And then you track the paper when it came back because the state would stamp it and send it back. Now put it in this view. Now we send everything electronically. We get a, a note back from them saying it's done. Okay. But you still have those people who like paper. So on, on our end for a long time, then they would print that approval out so they could put it into a file cabinet. Okay. Yeah. So we had to, we had to you have to get them past that. But yeah, I think it's, the paper issue was hard for some people to overcome, but it did even even in the last probably because our advertising and review process used to be very paper oriented. We used to send out these huge what we called yellow folders with every permutation of that advertising in it, and that would go around to forty or fifty people. So by the time you got it, you could have a you could have a folder that was at least two feet thick, okay? Mm -hmm. And it went it traveled the company and. Now it's all online. And so it, it is a big transformation. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the kind of final, I think, revolutionary piece that we've experienced here in the last 
15 years, give or take, would be certain product lines that, you know, before we would have to send these products to 50 different states, there are certain product lines now where we've implemented efficiencies where we can send those products in a single filing rather than, in this case, 46 different filings. But we've had a, a kind of a coalition of, of 46 states that have come together and said, hey, we're all going to operate under one set of rules. And for these products, you can make a single filing rather than 46 filings. And so that, that was absolutely revolutionary as well. But I think through these three examples, through Katie talking about the, the kind of transformation into the computer age, and then we talked about the, the digital transformation and then kind of the operational efficiencies of, of a single product filing, you know, the, the common thread through all of that is, is technology and innovation, right? And, and that's, that's really a, a significant component of the insurance industry that, that makes it so interesting and challenging is that it's constantly getting more efficient, getting smarter. So, and, and I'll probably talk about that more later, but that, that, that's really at the heart of it. Like one constant you can always expect in the insurance industry is change. It is change. constantly <laughs> going to change. The other big change, just so you know, is people can no longer smoke at their desks. So <laughs> <laughs> what a bummer. No, just but, so uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't smoke, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Yeah. And I think those changes are, sounds like for the most part, for the better. And that's actually an exciting reason why people like our age, they should look into going into this industry because it sounds like so much easier than having to deal with like, you know, boxes and cabinets of paper. Nowadays, at one click of a mouse pad, you know, you get the chance for all that information out. So very exciting changes. And I mean, I look forward to seeing what other changes we're going to see in our lifetime as well. So thank you guys so much. Yeah. And I got our next question. So as you know, in various industries, including insurance, there's dozens of certifications or designations you could get. So again, one of our main questions would be, we know that designations are key to expanding your knowledge. So we're wondering from your perspective, which ones do you think are the most valuable and or most respected to have in the insurance industry? Well, I think that really depends on what your specialty is. I think that all of them are important and they all give you different insights into insurance. So it really depends on what you want to do. And I, I can't even, Sean, I'm sorry, I don't even know what your designations are. I mean, there are people in my area who don't have any that I push towards that, but I have both PNC designations and life and health designations. And so I have both sides. And really what that does is it opens up the world so that you are multifaceted, so that you can see more than what's happening inside your company. So for instance, a lot of people who work for me, this is the only place they've ever worked. They only know the processes we do here. Whereas if you take some of those other courses and those designations, it shows you maybe what best practices are. It opens up ideas. It gives you more information about, hey, should I maybe think about doing this? It's more of a overarching education. And keep in mind that as you pointed out before us, old folks didn't have the luxury of having a degree program in insurance. So this a lot of times was the only way some of us learned some of the real basics about it. But I think the big thing is to know that there are different ways of doing things because companies develop processes that may have nothing to do with what you've learned 
in your FLMI or in your CPCU or your CLU. They have nothing to do with that because that's the way your company does business. But it's good to know that information as basically maybe a benchmark or a way to know what other things are going on. Sean, other other things that have helped you? I mean, all, all of mine have taught me new things. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with everything you said, Katie. And, you know, there are there are a couple of core designations that are, are a little more common and require a, a fair amount of, of study to achieve them. Uh, and Katie mentioned a couple of them. So the FLMI, or we call it the FLMI. Mm-hmm. The FLMI is a, more of a life insurance focused one. Requires, I think, in the neighborhood of eight courses, give or take. On the health side, there's an organization called AHIP, and they've got health-related designations, the HIA and the MHP. And then on the PNC side, Katie mentioned the CPCU, which is kind of the core gold standard designation on the PNC side. However, within that, there are every single niche of the insurance industry has their own specialized designations. AICP, for example, has two very focused, compliance-focused designations. They've got the ACP and the CCP. But every niche of the industry you go into, whether it's licensing, market conduct, anti-money laundering, whatever the case, they all have their, their own separate little special niche designations. The final thing I'll mention about designations, Katie's absolutely right. As a person, it's going to broaden your view of the insurance industry and give you some additional things to think about, but also from a kind of marketability standpoint for yourself, these designations go a long way to demonstrating your expertise to prospective hiring managers. For example, a lot of the positions that we have at our company, we really almost insist that you have one of these big core designations because our clients are going to want to see that, that we are in fact experts. And that's one way of of demonstrating your expertise. So it goes a long way to help better market yourself for future positions. And I think that's true. It's about marketing yourself. It may not necessarily get you the job, but it will pop you to the top of the pile. I think the other thing a lot of students don't realize is those designations, your FLMI, your CPC, your CLU, if you go on to get your master's in business, those are considered master level courses. And so you have to check with your schools to make sure a lot of times you will get credit for those towards your master's. So I know even when I got my master's, I think I got like nine credit hours because I had my designations. So you always need to check with your schools because, hey, that's nine credit hours you don't have to sit in a class for. And in most companies, most companies will pay for you to take your designation courses. There's usually caveats there that if you flunk it, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> They'll give you so many times maybe to take it. But generally, they, they will pay for those internally. But I would also encourage students that whatever company they also go to, that they look at the internal courses companies have, because those are generally leadership-based and skills that help you manage people and things like that, that also help you move forward in your career. So it's not just about those designations. It's about the continual lifetime learning of how you can better yourself and hone those skills that you have. 
And there's all different kinds of places to get that. Thank you. Very insightful answer, especially for hearing about that we could get credits for graduate courses. That'd be very helpful. Just knowing that going in. Oh, I knew you'd like that one. Yeah, we love that one. Because <laughs> then you don't have to pay for them. <laughs> exactly. It saves us a, like thousands of dollars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so today we've earlier talked about some high level overview of what you guys do. But if you guys could please share about what your day to day tasks looks like, we would really appreciate that. I, I go to the vending machine a lot. And <laughs> <laughs> or to the coffee machine. Sean, Sean just has to walk out the door of his of his uh, basement there. So, <laughs> right. no. Sean's days are probably a little different than mine because he's more upper management than I am. So I'll let Sean start with that one. So, yeah. So you know, my days today are are a lot different than they were say ten years ago. But you know, ten years ago it was you know it was a variety of things. You know, especially in 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 this niche of the compliance industry. You know, you're going to be completing four or five, maybe 10 completely separate and unrelated tasks throughout the day. There's, there's definitely a lot of multitasking going on. And it's, it's at a degree that I think a lot of people from other industries, you know, everybody says they, they can multitask. But I'm telling you, in the compliance industry, it's just it's at a different level. And, and it's a really great skill to have. It, it's something that you can use in all different aspects of your life. But from day to day, you know, I would research regulatory requirements to modify an insurance product to, to fit a particular state's laws and, and regulations. I'd be creating filing submissions to, to send to the state for their review. And, and then once the state reviews them, I'd be having conversations with the state about objections that they have and negotiating with the states of, all right, well, what's it going to take to get an approval here? And, and sometimes arguing with the states that, hey, I, I think your interpretation of this law isn't quite within the spirit of, of what it's trying to achieve. And, and so there's a lot of negotiation there. But then moving beyond that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of project management. You tend to have multiple projects going on at the same time. So a lot of project management and a lot of, a lot of team management. It's more than just one person trying to dig in and, and complete the work. It typically requires multiple people to, to get to a good positive resolution at the end. And, and so there's, there's a lot of management responsibilities that go along as well. Yeah, I think, I think the thing to take away from what Sean said, too, is that no two days are alike. No two hours are alike. We uh, spend a lot of time with so many different types of, of issues going on. And, and I will say again, it's changed over the years. I think to add to what, what Sean said, what I, my days are, of course, well, there's a lot of meetings. You, you're never going to get away from meetings. But what that does is it's about collaboration. It really is. Th this job requires a lot of consensus building, a lot of collaboration and a lot of listening. It really does. And and I will add to that a lot of creativity. I think one of the things people don't give compliance people enough credit for is their creativity. We have to find a way to make things work. And they will try to tell you the only creative people in the company are the people in your marketing area. And I'm telling you right now, your compliance people have to find a way to sell that idea to various regulators and to sell that new product to them and explain that to them in a language that's totally different than what they've been given. Because 
we have to put it in everyday speak instead of what our company speak is. So I always put it this way for my, my people is that our marketing people and our product people, they want the entire universe. And the reality is after listening to them, they can usually make do with one little satellite and that'll still do what they want them to do. And it's really about finding that, that core and really listening and, and putting your analytical skills together to determine what is really needed to make this work. Because then that's what you can sell that vision. I think we are all very creative people in compliance. Most people would tell you they don't see themselves that way because we're so bound by rules and regulations. But the rules and regulations are not always black and white. And so we, we have to deal with the gray on a daily basis. And we have to find a way to say, yes, I think that we can do it, but we have to do it this way. And we have to have those conversations with the regulators. We have to have good negotiation skills. So the other thing I do also that Sean probably is not as involved in is we do many market conducts within my company and we handle market conducts. There's two things going on there. A state will come in and want to see everything. And so I have to be involved in that and answering their questions. But we also do many market conducts within our company to determine processes. It's not like internal audit. It's a little different. We may have implemented something and we're going to go through and make sure they did it correctly. And we shepherd laws through and make sure that they got them done right. And we deal with drive-bys. I know Sean does this too, where we have people who just stop in our office all day long. It's like a parade. And they ask one question at a time and it's just something that's burning for them. And they're expecting an answer right on the spot. And over the years, I've had to learn, uh, you'll have to give me a few minutes. <laughs> Let me let me figure out what it is because they shop their drive-bys. So they decide you didn't give them the right answer. So they're going to go to the next guy down the hall. So <laughs> again, there's that collaboration where you have to talk to each other and, and really learn how to really listen to each other. I think that's a skill that is difficult to come by. And I spend a lot of my time trying to remember that God gave me two ears and one mouth. So there's a reason for that. So <laughs> yeah. And Sean will tell you, I'm not always really good at it because I like to hear myself talk. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for those answers. Something we noticed is, you know, you guys have to deal with so many regulators and the laws in place. So I, that leads us into our next question is, would you recommend going to law school if you want to pursue a career in compliance? Well, I would say neither Sean nor I are attorneys. Agreed. So... <laughs> <laughs> I would say based on the membership of AICP, I would say the majority of people in compliance are not attorneys. Would you agree with that, Sean? I'd say the overwhelming majority are not. Yeah. Do you have to have a law degree to do this job? No. Do you need to be able to think logically? Yes. That's a tough one because I think law school, I've seen lawyers hired into this job and they have a different viewpoint. I don't know, but your company hire any lawyers to do your jobs there, Sean? Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a couple of attorneys that work with us now, and, and we historically do, but they're not practicing law, which is, which is slightly yeah. different. I agree, Katie, with what you're saying. It, it is absolutely not a requirement. I think the bigger requirement kind of goes back to, to what you were saying on the last question is, is does the person have the ability to collaborate and, and get good positive solutions. And that 
that skill is not reserved for attorneys. And, and in some cases, attorneys struggle with that collaborative aspect to it. I've certainly seen some attorneys who, who have worked in compliance and it wasn't a good fit for them because they just weren't quite willing to, to negotiate and collaborate to a solution that wasn't the one that, that they were championing. But, you know, the flip side of that coin is, you know, there's a lot of good attorneys out there, a lot of good lawyers. It can provide some additional opportunity within compliance, depending on where compliance lies within an insurance company. Yeah. Sometimes it lies within the legal department. And if that's the case, there are some other truly legal related things that could present opportunities for somebody who had a law degree. And, and the other thing I'll say is, although most people in compliance are not attorneys, most chief compliance officers are attorneys. I would say that's probably true. So, you know, so if somebody had aspirations of, of really having an executive level position someday, that could give them some additional opportunities if they yeah. had a lot of And I would say most of the regulators I've met, the people who work on an everyday basis, are not attorneys either. Agreed. So it, it really, it does change the way you talk to each other. So I think it depends on what you want to do as an attorney. If, you're, if your goal as an attorney is to become an officer of a company, then it's like the guys who become attorneys so they can become president of the United States or you know, a senator or whatever. You got a lot of lawyers there too. Do they ever really practice law? No. And insurance law is so much different than what they actually learn in law school. It's not true contract law. So we spend a lot of time retraining attorneys because this is not, it's not the kind of law they necessarily learned in law school. I guess that's a good way to put it. And so, like Sean said, it depends if they're good problem solvers. But the skill sets we're talking about that Sean and I are talking about, a lot of those can be taught. Reading a law and picking out the parts can be taught. Do any of my people go out and then practice law on the side? No, because they know that they only know insurance law. Again, has its pluses and minuses. It depends on the company. Some companies will only hire attorneys to work in their compliance area. Thank you so much. And I uh, actually think that's a really interesting answer. And it really just comes down to what the you know the individual what they really hope yeah. to get out of law school as well as what they hope to do in their career. So it really just comes down to a personal decision that they're going to make in their career. I agree. Agreed. Well, I got our next question. So. Joshua and I were both wondering, on behalf of, you know, a lot of students looking at insurance compliance, if insurance compliance is going through a period of growth right now. Well, I know Sean's been hiring back all over the yeah, place. Yeah, Def <laughs> definitely from my perspective, it, it's definitely a period of growth. I, I can't necessarily put my finger on, on why that is, other than I know our clients that we work with, they're, they're developing a lot of new products going back and, and kind of redoing some existing products. So there's just a lot of work there. So I'm definitely seeing a lot of uptick in insurance companies looking for looking for new help on the compliance side. And and I hear that from my clients, you know, as I as I talk to them. And and Katie, you you probably see this just like I do through industry job boards such as AICP's got a really good job board. It feels to me, you know, I'm not going through and crunching the numbers on this, but it feels to me like the number of new uh, job openings coming onto that board 
is, is exponentially larger than it was, say, a year or two ago, even. I, I, um, I agree. There's a lot of activity there. I think there's a couple things going on. There's the whole new insure tech movement, which is yeah. driving a lot of that because they're looking at really totally different types of insurance, your cybersecurity, your uh, all these different things. You also have companies are trying to find ways to keep themselves relevant by adding new product lines that they haven't had before so that they can keep their their numbers up. Unfortunately, the other thing you're looking at is you have people who are retiring and you've got to keep building new people in there. And I would rather hire someone now when I have some of that knowledge here rather than wait till that knowledge leaves and try to replace it with someone new. So it's that going on also. The other side of it is not just the industry, but state insurance departments are having the same growth issues. So they're also hiring. And again, that's a little bit different mindset than what Sean and I see as far as people working in the regulatory world. That doesn't mean they don't go back and forth. The same skill sets. We both know individuals who have worked in the industry and now are regulators. We call them traders. No, we don't. No. <laughs> but then we also know regulators who have come back into the industry. And so for one reason or another, people move back and forth within this industry all the time. Same skill sets. And it's back and forth between PNC and life and health also. Uh, I think that's why you, you need to keep your options open as to which line of business you really want to look at because they're the same skill sets. I can teach you the products. I think on either side, I can teach you the products. I need you to have that logical mindset and that ability to problem solve, which is more important than the products themselves. So I've been on both sides. When I came over to life and health, they told me I came to the dark side, but you know, it's a different animal. So I, I think everybody has a different, I do think it's growing. I'm like, Sean, I don't know exactly why and in what sectors are growing more than others, but it is growing. That's great to hear though. You know, the industry as a, as a whole seems to be growing. And as you said, which I find really cool about the insurance industry is that you could jump from one area to the next as you're referencing the traders who went to the dark side, <laughs> you know. It's cool that you could do stuff like that. Not every industry or career area gives you that option, which leads me into the next question. As we're talking about advanced technology earlier, we're wondering if that will be a benefit or threat or maybe both for insurance compliance. Oh, it's going to be a benefit, I think. Don't you, yeah, Sean? That, that's exactly what I was going to say, Katie. I, I, I always view advancements in technology as a benefit. The industry is always going to adjust and advance itself. And yeah, sometimes could those advancements maybe reduce or, or limit existing roles and responsibilities? Yeah, that's, that's possible. But the advancements always create new opportunities, right? So it's, yeah, maybe certain tasks are eliminated because of the advancement. That doesn't mean everybody's going to lose their job. You know, some, some people have that mindset, and I feel like that's very short-sighted. These advancements are always going to create new opportunities that we couldn't even think of today, that we wouldn't even fathom would exist. But I guarantee you, two years from now, there's going to be some new function of what we do that's going to provide new opportunity for people. So it's, it's, it's just it's a cyclical thing. It's, there's always going to be change. There's always going to be advancement, but it's always guaranteed to create new opportunities. Yeah, and, there, and I think there's two sides of it. There's what Sean was talking about as far as what it does to our jobs personally, 
but it's also the idea that the more technology and more innovative things that we do opens up whole new product lines, which again, we have to hire people in order to figure out how we're going to make those customer friendly and fulfill the laws as they are written and work with regulators to write new laws to handle some of this stuff. I mean, when you think about for students today, social media is this huge part of their lives, huge part of their lives. It's, it's like the only part of their lives. But the laws currently are not written to handle social media as far as advertising and everything like that goes. So there's that whole thing of how do we find new ways to do that? And every day I'm astounded by the new stuff we can do as far as promoting our products and even new products to insure. I mean, Bitcoin's a big thing now where they're finding ways to insure that and some of the uh, cybersecurity stuff that they want to insure. And uh, one of the biggest growing things right now is pet insurance, which is crazy. But it's all these different things that are coming into play. They'll tell you even from the standpoint of, you know, how your electric cars work and monitoring people. That's a whole new way that we have to look about insuring things. And so that brings whole new things for Sean and I to look at how, how can I promote this to the states in a way to, to make them understand why we're writing this product this way. So I think it does nothing but open up big, big things for us in the future. Yeah, the insure tech side is just, yeah, it, it's going to create new opportunities just left and right. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy the type of innovation that those, you know, those people come in from a technology background, not an insurance background. And that's really the exciting thing about it is that it's forcing the insurance industry to take a new look at, at, at how to approach things, you know, whether it be you're pulling up to go kayaking and your phone says, hey, looks like you're going to go kayaking. Would you like special insurance for the next two hours or whatever? I mean, it's the amount of opportunity that's going to be there. There's no way we can imagine what that's going to be. No. Thank you so much. I know we covered a lot of things today from technological advancements, the opportunities and growth that come with it, designations, uh, law school, that nature. So to wrap things up, if you guys could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? I'm just that glad they didn't ask me what kind of tree I am. So I, I mean, I guess that's, that's, this is an easier <laughs> question. <laughs> I don't know. Um, not to eat all those sugar donuts, maybe. I, <laughs> um, uh, wow. If I had to go back in time, that's a tough one because I don't think I'd change anything of my trajectory in my career. I mean, I've learned so much. Uh, I think my math degree helped me. I think uh, going on and getting my master's helped. I think starting at the bottom and working my way up gave me new perspectives. I don't know, Sean. I, I don't know quite how to, if I would give myself any advice. Yeah, I, I think the advice, you know, that in, in some respects, the advice I was given when I started and, and that I would repeat. And, and quite frankly, I'm I'm repeating now to my daughters who are in high school and thinking about college and you know, my, my advice for them is is to be open and be flexible. Like being flexible yeah. is so important. And we, and, you know, Katie touched on this earlier, whether it's negotiating or collaborating or whatever. But, you know, in the insurance industry, we've talked about it a lot here. It's always going to change. And you have to be in a position to be able to go with that change and be flexible enough to adjust with it. And And the people who are able to do that, the people who are really become successful are the ones who are able to be flexible 
think outside the box, not get stuck in their ways, not not get upset or hurt if now we're going to do something a different way. They take it as a challenge. They're excited about it. Those are the people who are really going to have the ability to advance and take on bigger and, and more exciting responsibilities. And I would add to that, that one of the things that I think everyone coming into any industry, not just this, should always keep in mind is you need to keep a sense of balance in your life and and you need to keep a sense of humor because quite frankly, some of this stuff is so crazy, you just can't even believe it. So it's remembering that what we used to be called, and I don't know, Sean, if you remember, but for many years, we've made a joke that we were always called the sales prevention unit. Sure. Because we would tell them no, and it, they didn't like no. And I think there's a lot of retraining that has happened in the compliance area where it's not about saying no anymore. Thinking back now, if I had to tell myself something, it's not saying no, but saying, I don't think we can do it that way, but let's find a way together to do it. So it gets back to that being open to new ideas and looking at, at a way to solve the issue together. And I think that's really what's key to being in compliance is, is it's finding a way. Is, is definitely finding a way. Well said. And sometimes you do have to say no. Sometimes you got to put your sheriff's badge on and you have to say, no, you cannot do this. And you got to be able to take the slings and arrows when you have to do that. Because it, it's uh, sometimes we do have to be the bad guy. And then they bribe me with candy and I'm good. So then we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, well, then that concludes uh, all the questions that we've had today. So thank you again, Sean and Katie, so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate you guys sharing your experiences and insights with us. And uh, we hope you guys have a wonderful and happy holidays. And same for you. And we hope you f you find a job when you graduate <laughs> in, in the insurance industry. So that'd be good. Right, Sean? Absolutely. Sean yep. has yeah. openings. He always has openings. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Give me a call, Joshua and Julia. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank actually, Joshua and I have already committed to jobs. Joshua, you want to kick us off? Oh, I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean... <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, play all my cards. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> yeah, so actually, I just accepted an offer with Beasley uh, for their underwriting uh, training program. So Very I'm going to nice. be moving to Atlanta Wonderful. to do that. And then uh, Julia, nice. she also has exciting news too. Yes, I've just, I've committed as a senior account representative for Marsh in Miami, Florida, and I start in February. February is a good time to start in Florida. That's yes, <laughs> 80 degrees right now. So much nicer than Northeast weather. Well, congratulations, yes, both congrats. of you. That's so very exciting. exciting. Very exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very exciting. Well, thanks, guys.